everyone, and welcome back to Urban Wilderness, a podcast about my journey to learn as much as I can about wilderness survival techniques and bushcraft. Today I have a guest, Arliss, and we're going to be talking about two supermassive games, Until Dawn, which came out in 2015, and The Quarry, which came out in 2022. Hello, hello. Hi. So I previously recorded an episode with you about survival in video games, I think I called it Live, Die, Repeat. Do we want to give any updates on the games we talked about previously? That was a few years ago. There's been a ton of games I've played <laughs> yeah, there's been since a few. then. <laughs> um, just for, yeah, for reference, when we released that, they had just come out with The Outer Worlds, and we were, like, excited for what we could expect from that game. Oh, game ended up being pretty, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good, yeah. Hard. Good. Yeah. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn came out with a sequel. It was one of my honorable mentions. It's now Horizon Forbidden West, which I sort of finished. How was that? It was good. You end up fighting um, the far Zenith people all the way to the very end of the game, and you meet the new villain of the sequel that they're lining up. Now, did they add a little bit more survival stuff to that, or crafting? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Uh, It still really relies heavily on what you can learn from cauldrons, and unlocking machines, but now you can, like, fly? I'll take that. On machines? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then I I didn't play Red Dead 2, did you? Uh, I'm about halfway through it, so no spoilers, but uh, it, uh, it is a pretty intense experience because you could basically do everything but the main story if you wanted to. Uh, there's just, it's just an open, huge open world. Hunting's so much more, uh, I guess, involved in that game now, uh, too, with the tracking and the actual carving of the creatures. And then if you want to take them back, say you got uh, a nice gear or something like that, you throw them on the back of your horse and take it into town, too. So there's just so much of that. Speaking of open world, The Last of Us 2. Oh, that, again. So good. Beautiful experience. So much fun with that. What city was that one in? Same city? Uh, Seattle? Yeah. No. Was it? couple cities i think <laughs> i think so yeah also we played days gone which is supposed to be in national parks in oregon yeah. well that was the zombie bear game yeah, it's got zombie bears you gotta mm-hmm. love zombie bears mm-hmm. the survival was good but it was like a unique perspective because instead of pouring resources into settlements you take from them based on reputation and you put it into upgrades for a motorcycle i heard that was um kind of a little bit of a downer with that game was the motorcycle itself it seemed to be running out of fuel a little bit too quickly they were very generous with the jerry cans and the ones that you find in the world reset mm. so when you come across them they're always full okay so that's not as bad as people made it yeah um did you play dying light too i have not yet it is on my list of things to play but i'm very very excited for that one what have you heard uh i've heard very good things okay okay heard very good things if you like the the first one it's a lot more of that um, and just the the increased uh, amount of, of zombies and the increased amount of craftability, I guess. It's a craftability word. We're going to make it a word now. Mm-hmm. Craftability for what you can do for weapons Excellent. is just insane. I don't think you have a, a doom buggy right away in this one. Not right away. Uh, you might have to wait for more DLC for that one. Craftability was also really good in The Last of Us because we joked about how it was kind of just duct taping shivs together to make disposable switchblades. Um, it's kind of that in the second yeah, game, but it's just more of it. And then I wanted to give a shout out to Stray. I watched a playthrough. I watched an all night playthrough, start to finish, and it was just so cool. That game is just so 
I want to say beautiful. That game is just just mm-hmm. an experience. It's very realistic how when they put the backpack harness on the cat at first, he rolls over and gives up. <laughs> cats do that. Even the, the very start when you're playing with the other kitty cats. Mm-hmm. That, everyone's seen that. You've seen that game. Oh, yeah. So much fun. It was just great. And you didn't really, you didn't really know what to expect. I mean, you thought you did. No. And then, um, so Barrett recommended Farthest Frontier by Crave Entertainment. He said it was a city builder, uh, kind of like Banish. I think, is it Farthest Frontier that did Banish? Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so it's like Banish, but you said still... Yeah, a little bit more of the... Uh, Banish had some survival stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having to feed your people, harvest uh, materials. I, I believe that, um, uh, again, the game's in early access. So, uh, early access. Uh, right. For this frontier, you have to deal with uh, attacks from other groups. Uh, and it's more, uh, I believe it seems like a little bit more of a medieval uh, kind of a survival for an entire sound game. Do you want to talk about Surviving the Aftermath? Ooh, I love Surviving the Aftermath. Okay. I've, I've had a lot of updates. I played that a little bit during early access. Uh, I played a little bit during the updates. And now that it has its full release, uh, it's a lot of fun with that. Because it does take the city building aspect of most games where you're just gathering uh, materials, trying to keep people alive that way. To having uh, you get certain specialists, and you can send those specialists out on the map to actually go and explore to find you know things like medicine or extra bullets, or start to do trading with other colonies, or even fight bandits now. So it's uh, it's pretty it's a lot to do and a lot of fun that, driving cars. That reminds me of this War of Mine, where you said you sent people out to get cans of beans and they had to go through some dark stuff to get it and then they were just like not the same person when they came back to the group. It's not quite as intense in that. Um, by gathering resources, you just kind of click on a, a part of the map, they travel to it and they gather for a couple days and come back. You don't actually have to physically gather it. It's not mm-hmm. like uh, this war of mine where you're making the choice to save Rob from an elderly couple. And like, <laughs> I can take your food and you might not survive, but I'll, I'll keep the people that I have alive. It's not, no moral dilemmas like that. Oh, that game still still haunts me a little bit. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about Until Dawn and The Quarry, both games by Supermassive Game Studios. So Until Dawn was released in 2015 and it is rated M. The characters in the game are Hannah, Beth, Josh, Sam, Mike, Emily, Jessica, Ashley, Chris, and Matt. In terms of real people, the star power in this game is easily headlined by Hayden Panettiere, um, but there's also Rami Malek and Peter Stormare. And it's an interactive horror game with QTEs, which are quick time events, and don't move events. These get more difficult, as I recall, putting down the controller and failing prompts later in the game because you're expected to hold the controller but still compensate for a pulsating ring of light that can move a little more depending on the difficulty of the don't move events. Yeah, I remember those being rather rather strict sometimes, much more than I would like them to be. But yeah, QTE games, definitely, you can almost call them like watching movies. Uh, too, which is really nice. Really, really change the pace of the style of games. Mm-hmm. Gameplay of Until Dawn revolves around choices and consequences, as well as character relationships. The decisions you make can and do affect your chances of survival. So the Q, uh, quick time events contribute to survival in addition to time targeting events for pistols and then uh, the flare gun in the game. There is a YouTube video for all possible deaths, and it's only about 20 minutes long. 
One that I thought was really interesting was that Ashley either will or won't open a door for Chris when he is running from the Wendigo based on a prior decision. You seem to have the best chances when you either play as Sam or Mike. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that, yeah, for sure. She actually looks to be prepared. Um, she, she brings climbing gear and she has a cool headlamp. But I feel like Mike has the most opportunities for escaping from the Wendigo for obvious reasons, being that it's Hannah. But he also gets a rifle, he gets a handgun, and he gets a wolf companion during the course of the game. A wolf! I like his odds. <laughs> well, you gotta do some stuff to get the wolf. kind of cool. But... Yeah, he gets to get a bone or something. Yeah. 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 It's gonna be nice to the wolf. <laughs> I, I did look it up. Josh and Sam have the fewest opportunities to die, which is only one which is something that's pretty rare in a game like this. Mm-hmm. Normally there's multiple times you can kill all the characters. Mm-hmm. So actual survival in the game, not that not that realistic. It's monster-heavy gameplay. Um, except Matt can get the... He's the jock. He can get pushed off of a cliff by an elf be, if you choose to attack it with an <laughs> axe. So that's pretty realistic, I know. Yeah, yeah, that's something you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's heavy reliance on fire to actually kill the Alpha Wendigo and the Sub Wendigo. Um, but the game gives the player access to guns, flare guns, flamethrowers, well, an ally with a flamethrower, and explosives. And the end of game sequence is Sam actually killing the Alpha in a natural gas explosion. So, you know, did, it, did that actually kill it, or? Well, we assume so. It killed Hannah. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. It's a great chain of events for choices and consequences in some scenarios. A good example um, that doesn't necessarily end in a death, but before Sam and Chris board the cable car, they spend some time at a small gun range, and here Chris can choose to shoot a squirrel, um, or I think it's, your options are to shoot a squirrel or shoot a bag of sand. Um, and if he chooses to shoot the squirrel, then Sam is attacked by a blackbird and receives a cut to her forehead and this, scat- this scratch gets aggravated and starts bleeding while she is fleeing from the mass killer in her bath towel. And the subsequent blood trail makes it harder to avoid capture. Arguably, I think the best survivor in the game was the stranger, uh, the man with the blade for Yeah. He is unfortunately beheaded by the Wendigo, regardless of the choices that you make in the game. But it's cool. You can find out a lot about him based on his diaries and Actually, his name is Jack Fiddler, and he's vital to the backstory of Until Dawn. So yeah, he's kind of one of the only ones that knows what's going on. Oh, he does, yeah. for sure. So just a quick mention, no, it takes place on Blackwood Mountain, a fictional place in Alberta, Canada. Do you remember those newspapers? Yes. Oh, I was so excited when we found those newspapers. It's either the Alberta Express or the Alberta Gazette. Uh, I think it's Express. Yeah, they were in fact fake newspapers, but uh, it it is up for It's confirmed, yeah. yeah. Reminded me a little bit of home. I thought it was really cute, yeah. Especially since we found that Supermassive Games is um, English. Yep. Yeah, I know there's Did stuff. not expect that. <laughs> not they they did a really well, jo- well, uh, really good job of, like, uh, getting the look and feel of kind of like a a, a camp, in, or not really a camp, but a, kind of a cabin in the middle of Alberta. Mm-hmm. And in the winter, yeah. yeah. Okay, so the Wendigo is a monster in Cree legend, born of cannibalism. Uh, They have big teeth and claws, and they seem to hunt by sight. Thus, this enforces the don't move events. Um, They have an alpha named Makapichu, 
and in Cree this means he who has large teeth. And in the games, this is the role that Hannah fills eventually. The history on Blackwood Mountain starts with a cave-in. In 1952, the rescue efforts saved 12 of 30 miners, and they underwent a monstrous change at the sanatorium on the mountain. Did you collect all the codex entries? I believe I did. That was a long time ago, but yes. Yeah, there's yeah. There's so much to that. There's a there's a video that tells the whole story, but only if you find every piece of evidence. And I, that's what I like about these kind of games. Is there's, it's it's not just, you know, you, usually the first time you go through is kind of going through the story, making mistakes, getting people killed. Second and third time is going through, <laughs> trying not to get people killed, but then maybe the next time is getting 100%, all the, baby! Yeah. The night that Hannah and Beth went missing, the stranger killed the Alpha. So he killed Makapichu with a flamethrower. When the girls were running through the snow following the events of the prank, he was in the middle of fighting. And this is why Hannah becomes the Alpha, because the spirit ends up going on going back to the mountain, right? Which, which is a which is a telling of the the, the Wendigo, because mm. that's kind of something like that uh, the Cree the and uh, the other other bands that talked about it. Had that as their legends, that's something that would happen. So you have to be careful when you killed the creature, depending mm -hmm. on who's around also. Mm -hmm. I think there's the specifics of the tribe, but it's in only in one clue because Josh's family went to court over land rights. But it's a very specific piece of information. I'd have to look it up. And it's a clue you find in the in the lodge. Becoming the Alpha is also true for Josh if he survives. Regardless of how the final sequence goes down, there is still a natural gas explosion that kills Hannah, and then there's a credit scene where we see Josh succumbing to cannibalism, so that's a transfer of the alpha spirit to him being next in line. The game's actual feature features totems, if you can find them. They serve to give the player a glimpse into the future, so they, are, they have a couple types that they, they code them by color. So they're death, guidance, loss, danger, and fortune. Um, they kind of, when you find them, it's got that little pop-up that's kind of really cool, kind of like shows you what's happening with them. Mm -hmm. So it unlocks a, a like a couple seconds of a cutscene, and then overall you get the video. Or is that, yeah, that's from the totems yeah. as well. So you get a video that you can open in the start screen that's narrated by the stranger, and it's the history that I just went over, the cave-in, and then the events at the sanitarium. You can also find clues pieced together by you as the player that will narrate the history of three different timelines. So the 1952 timeline, uh, the mystery man, which is the stuff that Josh made up, but also why he made it up, and then twins clues. So Hannah and Beth. There's, there's just so much, so much to, to dig into the game, because I mean, the service of you'll play it once, you can kind of understand what's going on, but to like really dig deep into it, there's so much to it too. So mm -hmm. I like games like that. Yeah, and there's also really good intermissions. So Doctor intermission, the therapy sessions with Doctor Hill, he disapproves of Josh's actions from the beginning. But that being said, he's just a figment of his imagination. Doctor Hill is a real person mentioned in Clues. I think uh, he's mentioned in the Twins Clues and also the Mystery Man's Clues. Because Hannah writes about Josh seeing Dr. Hill in her diary, and the player can find text between uh, Dr. Hill and Josh on his phone. Other than being present in Clues, he's there to help the player choose and set game surroundings and details. He definitely brings a sense of fear to the game, and at the very least, he makes the player feel uneasy. The whole time you're kind of wondering 
what is this guy? What is happening? Why are we doing this? And then it slowly unravels too. Well, I, I recognize Peter Stavari oh, the right away. Amazing, I was like, what him. is my boy Peter doing in this game? <laughs> um, but a couple examples are he can bring vermin or help you decide on what type of vermin you'd like to see in the background of the game. Jump scares versus gore. And a really cool example, I don't, you don't, you're not a fan of needles. <laughs> Did you say you were afraid of needles? When I you think played? we would guess. Yeah, so <laughs> if you say you're afraid of needles, Josh will catch Sam with a needle instead of gas. Which just is to... just such a cool, like, it really, <laughs> it really plays like, it, you think you're just answering questions, but it really affects the gameplay also. Mm -hmm. But he does ask you your opinion of other characters. You can choose between one or the other. Um, I wasn't able to find out what effect this has on the game. Maybe it's just to make you think about your own preferences and prejudices. I'm pretty sure that was just to kind of reinforce, like, characters you, you like, characters you don't like, because you want the characters you, you, you like a little bit more to survive. But uh, that doesn't necessarily happen, so it makes you engage with that character a little bit more. Ah, uh, yeah, and then you find out that you're actually Josh. You were Josh yeah. the whole time! <laughs> uh, overall, I think Until Dawn was amazing. Together with its VR, DLC, it really gives a solid one-two punch that leaves the player reeling and wanting to play again. ASAP, like you said, gotta get that 100%. I thought it was something worth obsessing over to get that perfect playthrough. Well, even if you don't get, if you do get a better playthrough, sometimes you want to go through with those games to see, hey, what, what were the deaths actually like? How could I have messed up? What if I did this little change instead of this? Or even um, going through a little bit differently to get dialogue differences, mm, which is really yeah. fun. I can summarize the prequel pretty easily. I, I did not play it. I don't have a VR. But I felt like YouTube did it justice. It came out in 2018. Uh, it was exclusive to VR, and it was called The Inpatient. It is also rated M and still set on Blackwood Mountain in 1952, which is about 60 years before the events of Until Dawn. The player starts off the game as a patient at the sanitarium with amnesia, and the story unfolds mostly through flashbacks, but you are expected to search every nook and cranny of the environment for plot change clues, very reminiscent of Until Dawn. <laughs> but that it can help you make better decisions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you're not a minor in the DLC. You are a member of the press that was caught taking photos of sensitive content. And uh, basically you can choose to become a Wendigo or you cannot. The events unfold with a roommate if you choose not to. And then um, I thought it was interesting that the person chose to analyze the fact that police show up at the end of the game and question you, when in reality, in 1950s rural Alberta, it would in fact be RCMP. So some little thing, maybe they didn't quite know that, but we might know that because, you know, Alberta. But yeah, I did really like, because I remember before uh, The Patient came out, a lot of theories about, like, we saw the trailer, we didn't know who you played as, lots of theories about it, and a lot of people thought you were one of the minors. That's what most people thought going into it, that turned out not to be the case. You can choose to become a Wendigo. I think that was where they compromised. Yeah. And I remember finding a broken camera in the asylum. When you play as Mike, yes. you like basically try to get all the clues, but one of them is a camera with a smash lens. Oh, the game is so good. I should play it again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the quarry. The quarry was... Released in 2022, well, June of 2022, and it is also rated M. It is also an interactive horror game with quick time events and don't move events. Players, once again, faced with a system of choices and consequences. The characters are Laura, Max, Dylan, Emma, Jacob, Abigail, Caitlin, Nick, and Ryan. 
The relationships in this game, I looked it up, they don't seem to affect survival in the game. When I watched the YouTube video of all possible deaths in the quarry, which again is also about 20 minutes long, it seemed mostly the characters' deaths were because of their own choices and failed prompts. Which is definitely an interesting choice, because I really did like in Until Dawn where some of the choices characters made relationship-wise... Uh, really affected the the outcome of the story and like there's a really especially in like until dawn like you really felt you felt those choices like you felt that what you did mattered mm-hmm. the choices you made mattered whereas yeah not not as much in the quarry which isn't isn't to say it's bad but mm-hmm. there were definitely two uh, scenarios that stood out in the quarry for um kind of consequences based on other people's actions <laughs> so they're both jacob <laughs> <laughs> They're both Jacob. So he is killed by a werewolf in the Hackett compound. If I believe when you play as Laura, you choose to open the wrong gate and you let him and werewolf into the same area and he gets eaten. The second one is when Jacob is running through the woods and you play as Ryan, you blindly fire a shotgun into the woods at night and you shoot Jacob in the face. Yeah, one one could call it an accident, but... It, it's really just choice and consequence, right? Um, there's a bit more star power in this game. David Arquette, Ted Raimi, who plays the sheriff. Ariel Winter, plays Abigail. Eliza Vorez, who plays the fortune teller. And Lance Henriksen, who I believe everybody just knows as Bishop. Yeah, and then Brenda's song, is that her name too? She's in it too? Uh, she plays Caitlin. Yeah, I like her. She's kind of like the uh, resident gun expert. Yes. She's always telling people not to shoot each other. But do they listen to her? No. <laughs> well, I mean, you can choose to listen to her. <laughs> they should, but do they? Yeah. So the story starts two months after the tutorial, uh, which I'll cover, shoot, I'll cover in the backstory segment. Um, but it's the end of the summer camp, and the counselors are set to leave. And Jacob, no wonder they chose to make it an option to shoot him in the face. Uh, he sabotages the van. Now you have to, but you can choose to do it one of two ways. But I'm sure by the end of the... Yeah, it's the same result. It strands the camp counselors for another night. This also makes Chris Hackett furious because apparently hunting season starts the next day. After <laughs> Very camp. upset about that. The that. day after camp ends, hunting season starts. I just... Uh, that's uh, bad planning. Yeah. Um, is it true for any WMU Wildlife Management Unit was something that I talked about in my uh, podcast episode with Barrett was WMUs. In upstate New York, which is where Hackett's Woods is supposed to be, it's upstate New York. Uh, so I Googled it. An early bow hunting season in for deer in upstate New York starts September 27th. That's, uh, that's a pretty late camp. That's the earliest you can hunt deer. I think hunting season for bears starts September 10th. <laughs> but there's no bears in this game. It's all werewolves. Very monster heavy. Uh, they look like hairless werewolves, though, I guess. They had an interesting design for them. Not what I was expecting, but still kind of cool. Yeah, they look kind of like undead to me. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, I see that. Like ghouls with snouts and, of course, fangs. Transformation into the wolf looks like a small but painful explosion of blood. Curse, as far as this version of the werewolf curse tells it, stems from one person, uh, Silas the Dog Boy, a part of a traveling sideshow that came through Hackett Woods and North Hill. Scarum. One thing that really confuses me about how the the characters' reactions to the werewolf attacks is that dialogue between them kind of it reinforces arguments about whether or not they think they're these are bear attacks. 
Yeah, it was. They they didn't really seem to catch on right away. It was uh, it was interesting. They're like, oh, I think it's a bear. Well, I don't think it's a bear. Why would Chris Hackett not educate them about wildlife in their WMU when he is employing them at his <laughs> summer camp? You'd think they'd understand what what's around the woods and everything like that if they're taking care of kids and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So their job is to essentially manage teens in yeah. a setting where bears are present. I mean, if there's a hunting season in upstate New York, there's bears. It's just like, no. You have a take on that at all? <laughs> That's, uh, I mean, for the little canceling I did, uh, for schools, they did let us know exactly like what wildlife was around and then how to deal with it if we ran into anything. Uh, these kids uh, clearly did not get that training. Yeah, Hackett was a bit stingy on the training. Okay. Yeah, I think I think that was uh, by design though, simply because he didn't want them to look too close to what was around. Because mm-hmm. there, I, I believe, quote me if I'm wrong, but like there wasn't as much wildlife around. Uh, this area. No, because werewolves killed it. Yes, um, There's a scene where you do a no-move uh, no-move event with a, a wild boar, yeah. but I believe it's a female boar, so it's not that bad. Yeah, like that, then that was kind of a an interesting moment in that game when you kind of come to that realization that there's not a lot of wildlife in this mm. wildlife area. There should be, should be, you know, you should be seeing, you know, smaller creatures, larger creatures like deer and rabbits. You don't really see no, uh, any of those around, so it's one of those things you don't really notice until you actually start thinking about it. Exactly. That's actually a really good point. There's another scenario I thought warranted mentioning in the survival of it all is the character Nick is bitten by the werewolf in the woods and his wound begins to ooze black liquid. Another camper, Dylan, becomes concerned about spreading. That's the word he uses. And he tries to convince the other that Nick's leg should be amputated right then and there at the campfire. Oh boy! I mean, like, you, you like, got the fire to cauterize it, so I guess not not the worst idea. Yeah, but it's like let's have a show of hands. Who on get who on the camp council is a paramedic? Nobody. Aw, <laughs> oh, dang! I guess that means we're not going to be chopping off limbs today. <laughs> um, in my experience, black flesh means necrosis, uh, which takes time to set in, and it usually is accompanied by maggots. Right. But the main point is that necrosis doesn't happen in twenty minutes. He clearly watched too many movies. Yeah, if this, if I saw this, my reaction would be somewhere between Nick's whatever I'm good attitude and Dylan's oh my god it's rabies attitude. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, you say about the same. Like, yeah, I can be like, I, it's high time we got Nick to a hospital. Just chop it up, no, chop it up. You're done. Yeah. <laughs> The next survival is when Dylan himself, the Dylan is the guy who's worried about rabies. He himself is bitten. He's bitten on the hand and he begs another counselor to come up, cut off his hand. This happens because he's trying to scare off the werewolves from the, I don't want to say radio shack, radio broadcast cabin by creating a high pitch frequency feedback loop. What's your thoughts on the high pitch frequency feedback loop? I, I think that's an interesting, like it's an interesting idea uh, for sure because you know, Feeling the, the the fact that you're dealing with uh, wildlife like that that's mm-hmm. something that could work to scare them away from from your uh, your vicinity uh, if if they were actual like real creatures but mm-hmm. you know they're being supernatural and all that fun stuff but uh, I think it you know Radio Shack's the best word for it I think <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have the same ring as radio broadcast yeah. cabin no yeah. Radio Shack it is. But them being able to actually pull that off, I don't know if you could have in that shack like that. I don't I don't think it could have happened exactly as they tried doing it. 
When they raid the main cabin for party supplies back at the beginning of the game, Dylan has several options when finding a rifle. He can keep it, he can use it, he can give it away, or um, I think he can have it taken from him at some point. Um, during this subquest into a secret bunker of the main cabin, you find uh, trail cams. So, in fact, Chris Hackett was watching the camp, but he wasn't watching it for wildlife purposes. Yeah, it's making sure they stay clear. Exactly. Just a quick mention that, yeah, this takes place in Hackett Woods, which includes Hackett's Summer Camp and Hackett's Quarry, which was, uh, I looked it up on the wiki, it was a quarry for Quartzite, but they also did rum running. Oh. Yeah, and that's on the outskirts of the fictional town of Northkill. Yeah, so you don't really leave the woods in the game, except for when Laura's gameplay takes you to the police station. And then the host of the podcast goes to Northkill and stays in the Harbinger Motel in episode 5. During the opening tutorial, the player finds a flyer in the woods for a traveling magic show called Harem Scarum, in addition to a mysterious open cage with a sign that says Silas the Dog Boy. Uh, in this tutorial, Laura and Max swerve off the road to avoid hitting Silas, and they are confronted by the local sheriff. She's not very happy about this. No. Being there. No. Yeah. They ignore his instructions and don't head to the Harbinger Motel. And they kind of, uh, at the tutorial, they kind of shifted away from the dog boy. I mean, they, they leave the little trails of it, but it's Just more, the breadcrumbs, yeah. It's more the little, like, uh, the kind of the witch they kind of are gearing it towards, too. Mm, I think she's the fortune teller? Yeah, fortune teller. Yeah. Uh, werewolf lore of the game states that they are werewolves are killed by silver, and that their bite transfers the curse to their victims. Uh, oh, a person can be cured of their curse by killing the werewolf that infected them. And gameplay reveals that killing Cyrus will end everyone's curse. But there is like a possible scenario where we talk, we talk about Caitlin's the resident gun expert. Yep. So she shoots a werewolf with regular bullets and this weakens it to the point where it turns back into a human. And then she locks said human <laughs> in a freezer like Jurassic Park style and then just leaves him to die. So yep. that's that. I mean, that's one way to do her, right? <laughs> Caitlin's a creative character. She she was one of my favorites in that, that game. So this game also has clues and evidence. It has clues and evidence, or is until dawn, I believe, had just totems and clues. Totems, but three types of yeah. clues. Yeah, in this game, there are ten pieces of evidence to collect. Together, they help build. Uh, they point the police investigation uh, in the right direction at the end of the game. Um, they also function to piece together. The story of the two missing hikers, uh, which otherwise is only mentioned in the podcast. Which is interesting, because, yeah, I didn't really listen to the podcast yet. So I'm wondering how much of the podcast is, is backstory setting up things you learn about in the game. We'll get to that, oh, 100%. Okay. Yeah, it's just that there is evidence that points to two missing hikers, like um, newspaper articles, uh, their actual backpacks, which I believe you find on the island. Oh, you, okay. When you play as Emma, you find them, yeah. In addition to this, there is 40 clues that can be found. It's more, this is your codex. So this is how you find out things about the game. Um, they're like the clues in Until Dawn. So the types of uh, clues here are the Freak Show Fire, Summer Camp, and the Hackett Family. But yeah, we have therapy sessions, so to speak, in this game as well. So there's Dr. Hill in Until Dawn, and this game has, I think they just called her the fortune teller. Yes. Yeah, so you have intermissions with her. 
optional glimpses into the future. They're seemingly bought with tarot cards that you find in the game. And in some chapters or some intermissions, you must choose between one card and another. They're very similar to the totems that you find in Until Dawn. And uh, she, if you uh, kill anyone in the Hackett family when you break for intermission, she's, she approves greatly of your actions. She's very happy with you. Uh, she obviously has a vendetta. Clearly. She, she has an ulterior motive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this compares to Until Dawn because the stranger, Jack Riddler, has a journal you can find that lays out the story for his personal revenge journey because the Alpha Wendigo did kill his grandfather. Oh, poor stranger. Yeah. So, Bizarre Yet Bonafide is, does make a brief appearance in um, the game because Ryan is talking about, you know, the hag of Hackett's quarry and how he came to, like, kind of learn about it. It's six episodes. Each is about eight minutes long. Conversations between the two hosts are Grace and Anton. It covers mostly the two hikers that went missing in Hackett's woods and then their subsequent theories of the supernatural. Did they get close to any of their theories? Just Grace. Anton <laughs> kind of gave up. I think one episode she says he was off eating meatloaf or something. <laughs> um, Grace gets down to business when she visits North Hill in episode five. This covers her journey to upstate New York, her stay at the actual Harbinger Motel, and her chats with the locals about the freak show fire. Um, it's kind of the only time that it's mentioned that this fire killed their last sheriff. That's how they lost him. Oh. And he was replaced by... Uh, brother travis hackett yes. yes that's how travis hackett got his job y'all <laughs> <laughs> how it works right mm -hmm. the last episode was released a week after the game it serves to hype up the legend behind the hag of hackett's quarry and it is likely the episode that ryan is listening to at the start of the game when the player is inter introduced to the legend after the tutorial yeah i it's think it's a great way to do it it's a you know an eight minute podcast only six episodes mm -hmm. Definitely a great way to expand the lore a little bit, too. Uh, yeah, like I said, peanut butter butter pops. Yeah, you were talking yeah. about that. Yeah, they came up with a jingle for a fake product that is mentioned <laughs> in the podcast and the game. But yeah, survival a lot. But they, kind of, they kind of sound good. It's They were discontinued. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's the whole thing. The podcast itself is worth a listen. Even just, like, the production value is just chef's kiss. It's awesome. so good. It's the nice little details are what I'd say I'd really like about Supermassive Games. I obviously look forward to playing more in the future. I, I definitely would like to see possibly DLC uh, for the quarry. I don't see why they wouldn't do yeah. it. Let's yeah. just hope they don't make it a VR exclusive. That would be nice. Yes, uh, that would be that would be awesome. Uh, even a couple, even the next game they have they have working on that'd be kind of fun to see. Mm. There's got to be something. They're I, working on something. I can't wait. But after after Wendigos and Werewolves, what's next? Um. Well, we discovered that they were English, so. Maybe they'll do an English legend. Ooh. Uh, vampires. Let's just do vampires. Let's just... <laughs> just do vampires. Let's just do the one that's the most overdone. Mommies. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, did you want to plug any of your social medias? Don't do too much on the social media, but I do got myself a little YouTube channel there, uh, Ice Games, uh, on the YouTube, where I do uh, uh, streams of a couple MMOs, Final Fantasy XIV, um, Guild Wars 2 and Star Wars Republic, and then uh, do uh, pre-recorded uh, games, doing lots there, more Star Wars, more Guild Wars, and uh, maybe maybe some uh, maybe some survival games. Maybe. Well, the Weird West you're wrapping up. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes, maybe Farthest Frontier when it's not early access. 
thinking about that. Yeah. So be sure to subscribe to Urban Wilderness on Google Podcasts or on Spotify so you can get a notification when the next episode is up. I am now on Apple Podcasts as well. So be sure to check that out. You can also follow me on Instagram at Urban Wilderness Podcast and on Twitter at Urban Wild Pod. Briefly message me or comment on my posts, even if it's just to say hi. I love to hear from you guys. Uh, this has been Urban Wilderness with Arliss. Oh, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Reminding you to leave the road and take the trails. <laughs>